Joshua chapter 23 is where we're going to be. If you'll be turning there, that would be amazing. Y'all say a little prayer for me. I'm getting over the, the sickness, whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but it's something, and I'm getting over it. But if I go on a coffin spell tonight, my voice is somewhere on a spectrum from Colin to Coleman. It's leaning more Coleman tonight, which is a blessing because usually it's a lot more Colin. So... Um, Anyway, for, take that for what it's worth, but uh, Joshua chapter 23, I'm excited to preach the Bible tonight. I love the Bible. It's so good. I feel like every now and then, this doesn't always happen, uh, but every now and then when I, when I preach, I just feel like the Lord has sort of just orchestrated everything, right? That happens. Some of you preachers know sometimes. Um, the, the sermon this morning, the music just now, uh, the outline basically wrote itself, and I love it uh, when that happens. It's a real blessing. Joshua chapter 23, we're coming to the end of our series pretty soon, and I'm going to try very hard not to step too much on Andy's toes uh, for next time, uh, because Joshua 23 and 24 really link together and, and have a lot to, uh, of the same sort of message to say, but there's a little bit uh, difference, and I'm going to try to respect that this evening. Let's read. We're going to try to read. Uh, the whole chapter. It's not that long, and then we'll sort of walk back through it. Joshua chapter 23. And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And when it says a long time, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 20 years, somewhere in there. one, um, One resource I found said they had about 13 years of like settling into the land and then, and then this took place. But take that for what it's worth. Verse two, and Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them from out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do All that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside uh, therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that ye come not among these nations, that these remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you, as he hath promised you. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that ye love the Lord your God. Else if ye do in any wise go back, and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. 
And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord uh, bring upon you all evil things until he have destroyed you from all this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which he hath given unto you. That is quite a pep talk from Joshua. A little bit of positive, a little bit of negative, goes back and forth. Um, let's pray this evening, and then I, I want to preach a message that is very timely, I believe. I, I've titled it, The Do's and Don'ts in a Time of Transition. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you so much for this time. Now, I pray that in these few moments, you would give me the grace to say what needs to be said. And um, Lord, you would help me to uh, present something for these people tonight that they can take with them in their daily lives, Lord, as, as we all face these times of transition, as our church faces a time of transition. Lord, we're always transitioning. We're always changing. And Lord, I pray that we would remember to keep these things in our hearts and minds during that time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So uh, in the military, there is this concept that was developed around the 1980s. I mean, it was, it was before then sort of in place, but they, they codified it in the army in the 1980s. And it's this concept of the commander's intent, the commander's intent. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. Uh, I thought it was very, very timely that Pastor Coleman preached this morning on basically the execution of our, of our mission. We're talking about spiritual warfare, the battle of our mind. And... Um, it seems like to me, as I listened to him this morning and I took some notes on it, considering what we're getting ready to go through, it seemed to me like if what Pastor Coleman taught this morning was the strategy for how to basically deal with life as a Christian, spiritual warfare, um, then tonight is a little bit more of the tactics, right? The tactics. What is it that we need to do on a regular basis in order to make it from one day to the next, right? One foot in front of the other, especially in a time of transition. Now, that is exactly what's happening here. Joshua starts out by saying, look, y'all, I'm not getting any younger. That's the Statesville version of what he said, okay? I'm not getting any younger. This time is important. And he starts by gathering and speaking to mostly the leaders. Now, the whole congregation, I think, is there based on what the text says, but he's really addressing the leaders. He'll address more of the whole conversation in chapter 24 when we get there. But he's really talking to the, the leaders, and he's trying to help everyone understand the tactics, the nitty-gritty, the day-to-day, -day, the how do we live in this land of promise. And I thought this concept of the commander's intent was very, very interesting. The commander's intent articulates the broader objective of an operation, 
of a military operation, allowing those further down the chain of command to exercise initiative and make decisions that align with that objective, even if they have to deviate from the original plan. Now, I could just stop there, and let me just ask you a question for reflection. Have you ever had a situation in life you can think of where you had to deviate from the original plan, right? You had in your mind where things were going. You had maybe in a, in a group setting that you're in, maybe work or maybe in your family or maybe at church, you, you had a direction. You thought it was clear. It was all blue skies and then clouds started to descend and everything changed. Joshua wants to make sure that in this time of transition for Israel, that does not happen. They don't lose their focus. So he, he gives them this commander's intent. And to go a little further in, into this, uh, here's a, a, an example sort of situation to, to get you thinking about it. If the enemy commander has 10 possible courses of action, but the friendly commander, restricted by the senior commander, has only one course of action available, then the enemy clearly has the advantage, right? They've got 10 moves they can make. You've only got one. What are you going to do? But if the friendly forces senior commander, through a minimally constraining intent statement, empowers his subordinates, they can adapt to any situation they confront. I wrote these uh, few brief things down about that. This sort of commander's intent, this idea of what's the goal? What's the objective? What are we striving for, right? What is, the, what is the end game? This sort of objective brings us clarity, right? It provides clarity about what a success looks like. By the way, just in, in many facets of life, um, if you don't define success, then you don't know when you have reached it, Right? And this is true, again, in many different areas. It's also true spiritually, right? There is a way to know whether we are being successful in our walk as a Christian. It also gives empowerment, right? The, the commander's intent actually empowers subordinates to achieve that desired end state, even if, I love this, even if the original plan falls apart or cannot be executed for some reason. There are many times when the original plan falls apart and for some reason cannot be executed. What are we to do in those times? Here's another thing about it is the adaptability. I love this. Given the fog of war and the unpredictable nature of combat. Doesn't spiritual war feel that way sometimes? It's, it gets foggy. It gets a little muggy. It's a little bit unpredictable. You're really not sure what the next move to make. Plans might not always unfold as expected. The commander's intent helps units remain focused on the overarching goal, allowing them to adapt to changing conditions on the ground. It's brief and direct, okay? It's typically a clear, concise statement, free of jargon, so that there's no ambiguity about the overall goal of the operation. This is the part where I tell you that we have six points tonight, but they're all very basic, Right, and they're pretty clear and pretty simple. This is about as practical a message as you will ever hear Steve Strand preach. So mark her down, take a little note, remind yourself in case you didn't know, all right? And then finally, the foundation for decision-making. It gives you the foundation for decision-making. In the heat of combat, when communication might be challenging, 
Understanding the commander's intent allows junior leaders to make decisions on their own that align with the broader objectives. Now, I am thankful that the Lord is with us, right? He will never forsake us. We have his Holy Spirit, right? We, we do understand that we walk through life. We talked about this actually a little bit in couples class this morning. We, we walk through life and we do have the help of the Spirit of God in our lives. But I don't know about you guys, the Holy Spirit is not like those little angels, right? Where one sits on one shoulder and the other sits on the other, you know, and they're saying, and they're whispering in your ear and they're saying, do this, do that. That's, that's not how it often works for me. Oftentimes we have to make decisions in the heat of the battle and we still go into it thinking, I don't really know. Like you still have to trust, right? I don't really know if this is the right decision. I don't know if this is the right way forward. Well, because, because we have the context and the frame of God's written word and his will for our lives, then we have some boundary markers. And Joshua, like I said, the sermon wrote itself. Joshua literally walks down them in this passage. I, I like this, again, since he's specifically talking to leaders. Pastor Skip Hetzig, one of my favorites to, to watch his sermons on YouTube, very, very clear, well-articulated pastor and, and, and preacher. He said this, God buries his workers, but the work goes on. God buries his workers, but the work goes on. Remember, there was a time of transition from Moses. God buried Moses. The work went on. Time of transition from Joshua. He will bury Joshua, spoiler alert. But the work will go on. God will bury you, by the way, and the work will go on. The question is not, will the work go on? The question is, how will we move the work forward while we are here? And how can we make an impression upon the next generation. As we've talked about, life has a way of ushering in these very unexpected seasons of transition. Some are expected, some are unexpected, but God does not leave it up to chance or to faint whispers how we should react and what we should do, okay? So when we're in the fog of war, there are just a few things here. I think we can go back to sort of first principles thinking, right? And think back, what is the core of our command? What is it that we need to do? Well, Joshua gives us six directives. Like I said, nothing earth shattering tonight, but I do think if you will internalize this, if you'll make a note to come back to these six things, that it will truly, truly help you, all right? So let's dive in. Number one, in a time of transition, don't forget what the Lord has done. In a time of transition, don't forget what the Lord has done. This is in verses one through three. And it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And he called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges. And he said, I am old and stricken in age. And look at verse three. And ye have seen... With your eyes, you have seen. You, you don't have to wonder. You're not even just reading about it. You have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Don't forget what the Lord has done. In, in your life, when you are facing a situation that is unknown, where does our heart tend to 
run? Where does it tend to turn? What things do we start? We talked about this in couples class this morning. What things do we start? Andy's sitting there thinking, you're stealing my entire message from this morning. What, what, where do we turn to, right? Do we, do we look at our own past successes or failures? Well, I think that oftentimes we can do that, right? We want to fix things, but we think very logically most of the time. And, and we want to look back and say, well, yeah, I've toughed it out before. But we know ultimately that the answer is not found inside of ourselves because most of us are our own roughest critics, right? But it's not that way when we look back at what the Lord has done. I don't know about you. In the heat of the moment, for me, I often think, I don't know how we're going to get through this. But if I just take a moment to reflect and look back through my life and, and look at, look at my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, it's in Psalms. Uh, now, of course, the reference is, is slipping my mind. But it says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. I often say it this way. Um, if you don't, have the Lord on your side, right? If you are not a Christian, if you're not a believer, then the best you can do is say, well, thankfully we have serendipity, right? Things just seemed to work out in this situation. That's the best you have. But if you're a believer, you have the sovereignty of God to look on. Now, ultimately, it's all a point of God's sovereignty. But imagine having an all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful being on your side and not giving him the credit, right? And so we have God's sovereignty to lean on and to remember that if he got us through it before, it's pretty likely that he can and he will get us through it again. Now, you guys know this. Again, this, like I said, nothing earth-shattering here. Did you know, though, that oftentimes the way God does things is not the way that you would do things? right? That is something we have to consider. Uh, though it may be a hair sacrilegious, there is probably um, no uh, more modern, better demonstration of this than the movie Bruce Almighty, right? I mean, in that movie, it, it, I, again, I know, it's not maybe the best example, but it really does shine a light on that, on that little aspect of God's sovereignty, of God's listening and God's care and perception in your life. And aren't you glad that you are not God? Because he might not have been as forgiving to you and to others, or, or excuse me, you might not have been as forgiving on yourself or to others as he has been to you and to others. I'm thankful that God is in control. I, I'm thankful sometimes people say, well, you Christians, you just have a crutch. Yep, I got a crutch and, and I need it. I need it because I know that I can't make it from day to day on my own. When stuff happens, when life happens, I'm glad that I have a sovereign creator that I can point at and say, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow, right? It's very, very important. Now, not only that, but, but remembrance was very important in the life of an Israelite, and it's very important all throughout the biblical record. If I, if, if I may be allowed like a 30-second nerd spasm here, all right? There's a big difference between the worldview of the Israelites and the worldview of all of their neighbors that lived in the ancient Near East. Sometimes you'll encounter critics of the Bible who will say, well, Israelite was just, you know, the Israelites were just another one of these ancient 
cultures. The Bible was written by ignorant goat herders, this, that, and the other. The thing is, there is a mountainous list of differences between the Israelites and the, the cultures that surrounded her. I mean, she was literally, the, the, the nation of Israel was surrounded by wickedness and debauchery and just a complete worldview difference. Like everybody around the nation of Israel, they held what you might call a, a continuity worldview, very similar to something like pantheism. You're, it's like Oprah. It's like, you're God, I'm God, he's God, the building's God, everybody's God, right? Um, it's this idea that we all have God sort of living and, and, and flowing through us. The universe is God. That is the kind of worldview that all of Israel's neighbors had, but not Israel. Israel had a transcendence worldview. It was a worldview that said there is God who is transcendent. There is God, and then there is everything else. There is only God, the soul necessary being, the all-powerful creator, and then there is his creation. And one of the big differences in there is that um, for other cultures, history didn't really matter. And what you'll find is that um, the only kind of history that they record is history that makes them look really, really good. It talks about all of their military victories, all of the people that they defeated and, and drove out. Um, but it never hits on the weaknesses, right? It never talks about an accurate recounting of history. And as you look through the biblical record, you find the idea of remembrance to be a very big deal. Accurately dealing with history to be a very big deal. Um, a couple quick examples. Passover, right? Passover is about remembering the time that God delivered his people from Egypt. I think about David when he came back to, I think it was Ziklag, Zilkag, I forget the exact name, but he came back and, 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 and basically the, the, the town had been pillaged and the women and children, everybody was gone. And it says that he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And I can't help but think that in that moment, he thought back to when he slew giants and he slew uh, bears and he slew lions with his own bare hands with the power of having the Lord on his side. And he was thinking back through those times that the Lord had delivered him. What about the crossing of the Jordan, putting out those 12 stones? What about as a Christian, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We observe that. It's important to remember what the Lord has done, and that's what Joshua is telling these people here. In a time of transition, don't forget how good he's been. Don't forget where he's delivered you from. Secondly, in a time of transition, don't forget what the Lord has promised. Don't forget what the Lord has promised. Verse four, behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan, with all these nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them before you and drive them out of your sight. And ye shall, uh, ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised you. God takes his word very, very seriously. Did you know that? I think about um, these, uh, again, people who want to point to the, to the Bible and uh, especially in progressive Christian movements and such, they, they basically don't want to take the Bible for what it says, okay? Um, they will 
keep the good parts that they like. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But if Jesus says something about hell or about the correct form of marriage or whatever, then they start to water down the word, right? And they start to make it into something that it is, um, that it is not. But I find it interesting that if you read the end of the book, you will find that all of humanity is going to be judged for every idle word that was spoken. Now, that scares me, and I'm thankful that I am covered by the blood of the Lamb because I'm sure I have spoken a lot of idle words that God could put up on the projector screen of my life that I would not feel good about. And I'm sure you could probably say the same for you. Here's my point. If God holds us accountable for every word we say, don't you think God holds himself accountable for every word he says? I think the answer to that is yes. And I'm thankful that the Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen. And so we get to cling on to those promises. And Joshua was reminding his people that God is a God and a person of his word. And by the way, this is true even in spite of the fog of war, even in spite of the day-to-day shifting sands, the things that we deal with that come up, the, frankly, the disobedience that often we find in our lives, those times that we stray away from him, his promises are still true. He was reminding these leaders and these people, these children of Israel, that, hey, God has brought us this far. Don't you see the fulfillment of his promise being lived out? The very fact that we are here, we're literally living in, I don't know if they called it this, I guess they did, the promised land. This is the promised land, walking in the land of promise and continuing in the land of promise. We're only here because God got us here. Don't we think that he can get us to the next place? I love this, you know, um, Sometimes we tend to tie our thoughts about like, how God looks at us to whether or not we've behaved on a certain day or, or whether or not we've been reading in, in our Bible and studying and, and praying. Again, this is, this is real boots on the ground stuff here. Um, I'm thankful that even when I go through those times of separation, those times of distance, those times of disobedience, which we never want to excuse those, but my Bible says that he loved us and died for us while we were yet sinners. How could we possibly, how could we possibly lose something that we never gained by earning it, right? We didn't earn our salvation. We didn't earn God's looking at us and seeing his son. We didn't earn that sacrifice. We didn't even earn the right to be created. It's all a gift from God. And it's all based on his word. And his word contains his promise. Every day is a new day to hold his promises dear. I like this verse, 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. It says this, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world, excuse me, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through us. His great and precious promises were true then, they would be true for the children of Israel 
moving forward. They're true for you and me today. And we can look back at those. So don't forget what the Lord has done, number one. Number two, don't forget what the Lord has promised. Number three, in a time of transition, don't place your allegiance with other gods. Don't place your allegiance with other gods. Verses uh, five through seven. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them from out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised you. Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that ye come not among these nations these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, <clears throat> nor bow yourselves unto them. Um, Joshua was concerned because guess what? To this point, they really, they really hadn't still done everything that they were supposed to do. There were still some people who needed to be driven out of the land. And the Lord is patient and the Lord is kind. And Joshua was patient. And Joshua was like, look, as long as you don't go, you know, intermingling and, and, and serving and worshiping their gods and marrying those people, um, then the Lord will continue in, in his promise and, and he will help you. He will deliver you from those people. And um, it's just interesting. What does that have to do with us today, right? Um, don't place your allegiance with other gods. Um, well, if you were in my Defense Against the Dark Arts class uh, this past time we were in... Um, uh, small groups, you know a lot more about that. Uh, I don't have time to go into it today, um, even though I would love to. But just recall with me, remember last time I preached, I expect you guys to take detailed notes and remember every single time I speak and everything I say. Uh, remember the last time that I, I preached, we, we were in Joshua 15 through 17. And I preached a message called, Why Are These Chapters in the Bible? Um, and we talked about there the supernatural backdrop of, of this book. And, and look, the bottom line is, is we are in, I'm just going to give you the, 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 the brief highlights. We are in supernatural, spiritual war. Spiritual warfare. There are unseen forces, intelligent evil, and intelligent good all around us. There is, if you will, a battle happening in the unseen realm every single day that you and I get little glimpses into every now and then. And sometimes we can see in the way that our nations are going, in the way that our world is going, we can see that unseen influence in the lives of people. The thing that we need to remember is that we are never enemies with the people. We are enemies with the spiritual forces of wickedness with the God of this world who is Satan. Our job is to love people and oppose spiritual wickedness. Don't place your allegiance with other gods. I hate to be cheesy, but seriously, like, whatever. The, I, the gods of money, the gods of sports, I don't really look at it that way. But there are things that you can put in front of the Lord. And my admonition to you as we quickly move on is don't put anything before God. Don't put anything and your life before God. Everything that you do, you know, I'm a motivated, like, business person. You guys know that. For me, I mean, I, I like, work is like eating a candy bar for me. Um, I just love it, right? It's constant. Um, but I have to remember and remind myself that I have other priorities. I have priorities that come before that. Just because I love to do that and I love what I do and I, I love to business, um, it doesn't mean I should put that before my love for the Lord and my relationship with him. It's possible to put even good things in between you and the Lord. Don't do that. Don't do that. Number four, quickly, in a time of transition, 
continue, do continue in obedience to him alone. So we have the don'ts. Don't forget what the Lord has done. Don't forget what the Lord has promised. Don't place your allegiance with other gods. And then do continue in obedience to him alone. Verse eight says, but cleave unto the Lord your God as you've done unto this day. I love that word cleave, like cling onto. You need him. I need him. We need him. We should cleave and cling to him, okay? Obedience, walking in that promise. He alone, we should serve. Joshua, he will say, uh, as will be covered in verse chapter 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I wrote this down, to walk in his protection, we must walk in his promise. To walk, that's interesting, right? To walk in his protection, we must walk in his promise. Do we break do we break relationship with the Lord? Uh, I think of the idea of integrity, right? Uh, I know we have like a, a sort of like a moral sense that we apply to the word integrity, but the word means wholeness, wholeness, right? And, and so I just want you to reflect on that. Obedience is such an important part of our daily lives. It's not as though because we have grace, we get to do whatever we want. Paul says, God forbid. In our daily lives, if we want to walk in God's protection, do we have integrity? Are we whole with respect to our walk with the Lord and our relationship with him? Are we breaking relationship and breaking covenant with him? Or are we continuing in that? That leads right into the next one, honestly, into number five, which is to... Do continue to love him with all your heart. Do continue to love him with all your heart. Here, Joshua, this is in verses 9 through 11. He is, uh, let's just read verse number 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Take good heed. Be careful to continue in loving the Lord your God. Um, just you know, to, to be a little personal, I always, like, as I mature as a Christian, I learn more about myself. I learn more about God, obviously. I learn more about what that means to love him. I used to, you know, growing up, been in church my whole life. I mean, I would literally hear, like, sweet old ladies talk about how they just, you know what I mean? Like, their love for Jesus and just in tears. And um, I think it, it takes a long time of spiritual maturity and constant relationship to fully grasp and understand what that means. And I'm learning more and more about it every day. But this was a central part of the life of an Israelite, to love God. By the way, if you love him, you will keep his commandments. That's another inconvenient truth that Jesus says, right? It's not just about love. It's about love and keeping covenant, keeping those commandments. This is Joshua basically reiterating the greatest commandment in the Israelite culture. They called this the Shema. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Loving the Lord our God, o obeying him. Let me ask you this question, just to reflect on. Does your obedience to God, does, does making the right decision in the fog of war, in the day-to-day, -day, as you're facing the spiritual battle, does it feel forced, right? Does it feel like checking off boxes? Does it feel like doing things that 
are hard. Like it, it's just so hard to obey. It's just so hard. Maybe the problem is a lack of love, right? Just bear with me, right? Thinking about that. Maybe the problem is a lack of relationship. Maybe if, if, you, if you loved him deeper, if you spent more time with him, and again, I feel like I'm stealing from Andy this morning. I'm preaching to myself here, right? I'm preaching to every one of you, but also to me, right? If I spent more time with him, if I prayed longer, if I read his word more, if I loved him more deeply, would it make everything else a whole lot easier? I think the answer to that is probably yes. Probably yes. You don't hurt those whom you love, at least not intentionally, okay? So think about that. Think about if you could just get to know him more in your daily life, how much easier it would make the battle in a time of transition, in a time of heavy fire, in a time of spiritual warfare. Take heed, watch yourself. Okay, uh, I wrote this down, I love this. Loving God is an intentional command. Notice, it's not just something that happens. We have control over this. We have agency over this. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still there, the way he always has been. It's us that might have moved away. It's us that needs to draw nearer. And he promises, this is another one of those promises, that if we draw nigh unto him, he will draw nigh unto us. Lastly, number six. So first, I'm just gonna run through these again. Remember, don't forget what the Lord has done. Number two, don't forget what the Lord has promised. Number three, don't place your allegiance with other gods. Number four, do Continue in obedience to him. Do continue to love him with all your heart. And then finally, and this is a somber one. I kind of wish it didn't end here. Do take his will and commandments seriously. I, I always think it's funny when the, when the sweet piano music comes on and then somebody cracks a joke. So here we go, right? This is kind of God saying, I brought you into this world and I can take you back out of it. Right? This is verses 12 through 16. Obviously, we will not read it for the sake of time. But, but notice that, like verse 15 says, Therefore it shall come to pass, that is, all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you. So shall the Lord bring upon you evil things, until he hath destroyed you from off this good land, which the Lord God hath given you, when ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and gone to serve other gods, etc. right? The point is there are natural consequences to our actions. There is punishment. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in the Lord, but bad stuff still happens every single day, right? In your life, in my life, in the life of our church, in the life of your family, in the life of your workplace. It's not as though we are freed from difficulty. It's not as though we are freed from spiritual warfare. We're in the fog of war. We're in those periods of transition. And I would just implore you to remember that God's promises are a two-way street. Every action that you and I take has real consequences. Now Israel, you guys know the end of the story. Israel broke 
covenant ultimately with God. They didn't hold up their end of the bargain, but thankfully he still held up his end of the bargain. In fact, that's central to the idea of covenant. It's not a contract. Contract says, if you do what you say you'll do, I'll do what I say that I'll do. Covenant says, whether or not you hold up your end of the deal, I'm gonna hold up mine. And that's what God did for us through Jesus. And, and so, Coleman, you can come. I'm, I'm done, but isn't it the least we can do to continue in obedience, to grow to love him more and more every day, to take his commandments seriously? I think that's something we can all strive for in our lives. And, and if you'll just remember these six things as you move through life and as you're dealing with times of transition and if you're dealing with the fog of war, um, I think it'll be a lot easier to stay on track, to don't quit, to finish the fight, to finish the course well, as the Apostle Paul said. Um, you don't have to remember every little detail of the battle plan, but you do have to remember the commander's intent. Where are we trying to go? What does success look like? How do we get there? Those six simple things will take us probably 95% of the way if we'll just remember them. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, as he said, that's some boots on the ground info that you have to take with you this week.